gathered. There you are in our midst, and you are in our midst this morning. We gather, Jesus, in your name, and you are here. I pray that you would help us to focus and be aware of your presence and not distracted. You have called every young adult here, every woman and every man that's here presently and on live stream. You have called them by name to be with you and to be together here this morning for this time. This time, here and now in your presence. And so I ask that you move among us, that you fill this place, that your will would be done that your name would be glorified, that we would be transformed in your presence, in your mighty and matchless name, Jesus. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, amen and amen, amen. Please be seated, amen. Who do you want to be like? Who is it that you kind of have as a hero or a model, a role model? It's interesting that there's even shows like American Idol. Idol. There was a show back in 2004, many years ago now. I didn't realize 2004 was so long ago, but yes, it is. There's a show called The Apprentice. I actually think I heard like a murmur or an ooh or something. I'm not making it up. But The Apprentice was this, they call it a reality show, and people wanted to be like Donald Trump or the Donald. Well, we have sought this year as a theme to be transformed. For us as a congregation and individuals to be differently a year from now than we are presently. To essentially be an apprentice of Jesus. And since that is a call to all of us, that necessarily means that that doesn't have to do with our outward appearance. But it has to do with character. It begins with the inner person, the inner character of Jesus. And so last week we heard as Jesus was preaching, Matthew recorded in that first verse that we explored, poor in spirit. In other words, humble before the Lord, acknowledging our dependence upon Him. Something that even the Son of Man demonstrated to us. This aspect of inner character so but that would mean that we would need to understand Jesus thoughts his feelings is that possible what is a primary emotion of God what does it look like to live out what some of these thoughts and feelings that Jesus has In a short time, 
I will pause again for Q&R. So as I get going here, if you have questions or things that you want to ask, I encourage you to do that. Most sincerely, I want you to ask questions. You can text, you can email to that address, ask at Westview Church, or you can stand where you are. One of the things that research has shown over several studies is young people, particularly young adults and 30-somethings, have said, we have questions, but the church didn't seem to be a place where we could ask those tough questions. Well, I invite you to do that. I may not have a great answer, but I will do my best by the leading of the Holy Spirit, to at least respond to you. So we're continuing our sermon series in the Beatitudes. And I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 1 to the first part of verse 4, 4a. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down... His disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. In other words, Jesus says, Happy are the unhappy. This word mourn, pentheo. And as I said last week, Jesus is preaching in paradox because it doesn't sound like it makes sense. It sounds like a conflict. This word uh, mourn, pentheo, is a participle. That means it is both a description of something that is going on and an action. So here's something you need to know about emotions. It, we sometimes confuse emotions and feelings. Emotions, since we're talking about emotions of God, emotion is four parts. It is a thought, a feeling, and then a physical manifestation. Something happens physically, and then a behavioral response. And what Jesus is saying is, blessed or fortunate are those who are sorrowful that have this emotion of sorrow. Now, if you have a bit of dissonance in your mind as you hear this, I can only imagine what it would have been like to hear this from the crowd's perspective at the time of Jesus. Scholars, various, have estimated that the crowds that had gathered there were extraordinarily poor. 75 to 80% of the people there would have been, like I'm saying, like one set of clothes poor. What they wore is what they had. So they would have had every reason to be sorrowful. Jesus himself demonstrated sorrow and grief. In times of loss, he lost a friend when his friend Lazarus died. But this emotion of grief, this divine emotion, is actually the first explicitly expressed emotion found in Scripture. And it's in Genesis 6, prior to the flood described in Genesis 6, where Jesus, uh, uh, where the Lord in Genesis 6 describes 
being grieved, brokenhearted, filled with such grief to the very heart because he was grieved at the sin and corruption of the people at the time. What caused the Lord extreme grief was the sin, and I, I describe sin as being an alienation, a progressive alienation from God. So people had wandered away from the presence and relationship of God, and it got to a point where the writer in Genesis says it grieved God's very heart. He was heartbroken. An emotion of God. He was grieved at sin and violence because of the immediate impact that it has on, on people. The suffering it causes in the immediate sense. Violence and killing. Corruption has an immediate impact to people and it causes suffering. But there's also a secondary impact that it has on people as well because there are consequences as a result of alienating ourselves from God. So we find Jesus in the New Testament in his ministry grieving over Jerusalem, the city, as recorded in Matthew and in Luke. So the Lord's mourning, his grief is over sin generally when systems are constructed that cause sin generally, but then also specifically the specific sins of individuals and, and people and churches. Mourning is a primary emotion of the Lord. He processes his grief thoroughly. But it's remarkable to me how we dismiss this emotion as being even conceivably divine. One uh, scholar pointed out for me the song, Away in a Manger. Remember this phrase, um, you know, no crying he makes? No crying he makes? As though, like, we, we just whitewash and we gloss over. Even the baby Jesus couldn't possibly cry. How about loud crying he makes? It reminds me, I went and looked up, uh, there's this movie, uh, A League of Their Own, where Tom Hanks says, there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in church. Christians don't cry. That is absolutely false. That's, 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 that's a lie. That's the enemy deceiving what is otherwise very real for most, if not all of us, at times when we feel like we want to mourn. But the thing is, we perceive, the world perceives weakness. The world perceives mourning and grief as a sign of weakness. And so the Western, white Western European uh, church, has, Protestant church, has developed this sort of triumphalism where we arrive and everything is great and everything is perfect and everything is like this and everything is like that and it's yippee and yee-haw. But the people who are going through things feel alienated 
Or maybe it just doesn't feel real. I remember uh, our oldest daughter is a singer-songwriter, and I remember in high school, in her later part of high school, and she had written this one song. She's a very good songwriter, and, but she had this one line where she said, uh, so I put my fake face on, and it cut so deep. Really? Do we need to put a fake face on to come to church because we're in a state of mourning and that's not the place to let it out? Because the Lord is not emotional? We are uneasy with grief. We are accommodating and adjusting even to our own sin. We adjust to it rather than mourning over it. There's something called schadenfreude, which is, in fact, the the world can so deceive us and shape us that we even can take joy over the pain or over the, the, the travails of somebody else who we might perceive as deserving it. Mourning is a divine emotion of God. And so mourning over sin, mourning over all of that alienation and that wandering away from Him, not because of rules, but because of the destruction that and suffering that ensues when that happens, immediately and secondarily. So if mourning is a primary emotion of Jesus and of our Lord, then followers of Jesus also are those who mourn. I can actually see the headline. Following Jesus will at least at times make you cry. When you recognize your own shortcomings or when you recognize the sin and corruption in the places we live in and places we go. Sin and corruption do not have the last word. Mourning is not the final word. In chapter 5, verse 4, the complete verse is, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Parakaleo. That word comforted, parakaleo, is made up of two words. The first part of that word is call. The second part of that word is beside. Blessed are those who mourn because the Lord will come beside you. He will come alongside you. in a very profound way. This is actually the gospel expressed in a word, parakaleo. Already Isaiah, in Isaiah 61, listen to what Isaiah proclaims, written here, this These two verses in Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2 are the very verses that Jesus will read in the synagogue as recorded later on in Luke chapter 4. But listen to these verses. The Spirit of the Lord, God, is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. 
He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Luke records in chapter 4 when Jesus had read these words, he looked for them. They handed him the scroll of Isaiah. Jesus unfurled the scroll to this passage, and then Jesus read this passage, and then he sat down and he said, Today, these words, this has been fulfilled in your hearing, fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. God the Father has come alongside in the person of Jesus Christ. Yes, yes, a full and complete coming alongside will happen when Christ returns. Part of the gospel is that He has come, but the other, another part of the gospel is that He will return. He will finally come alongside and remain permanently alongside, and all of our tears will finally be wiped away. But that has begun already in the present. He has made this commitment and this promise that he will come alongside in the present. And we see that in the life of Jesus. After he was baptized, he was led into the desert and he was tempted there for 40 days. The desert, he reclaimed what had been lost by Israel in the desert. 40 years, he reclaimed it in the desert in 40 days. And after all of that, he was ministered to by angels. He was comforted after that travail and that, all of that struggle. He was comforted, the Son of Man. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Adam and Eve had lost the garden, He, now in the Garden of Gethsemane, reclaims what had taken place also. He did not waver. Oh, He wrestled, but He did not waver. And Scriptures say angels were sent to comfort the Lord Jesus, to comfort the Son of Man. They will be comforted, Pericleo. The gospel writer John uses that word to describe the Holy Spirit. Paraclete, advocate. Jesus said, when I go, I will send you another a paraclete, I will send you the Holy Spirit and He will be your advocate. He will come alongside you and His purpose will be to be with you, to guide you and also to comfort you, all those who mourn. Mourning. Mourning, if I would illustrate it this way, it is like, it is like a, a particular trail in the woods. There are these sort of intersections, these junction points where there are different trails. One trail is indulgence. 
One trail is indifference. One trail is distraction. But there is another trail. And that trail is called the trail of mourning. Of grieving over sin. Of grieving over what is happening. And on that trail, we are told that if we go on that trail of mourning, the Holy Spirit will come alongside us on that trail and comfort us. And we will only know what happens with the comforting of the Holy Spirit if we are on that trail. And all of a sudden, a clearing opens up. And you find yourself at a table beside still water, looking up at a mountain, And the Holy Spirit has come right alongside you. Not removing the circumstance, not removing what is going on, but is comforting your inner being where we need to be comforted. Only on that trail. Kimberly and I, uh, several years ago, we went to Kinshasa, Kinshasa, uh, Congo, we were visiting friends and we went to an orphanage that we have been involved with. Jacob and Kulem were the couple that live there and run the orphanage. We had been there for several days back and forth and, and we, we wanted to just build rapport and relationship with them and truthfully, I had, I had wanted to just let, you know, for them to be kids and for us to be able to play together but I wasn't sure how to go about it. And then we decided we would just let, we would ask some of the children to just tell their stories. And they would speak, sometimes it was Chokwe, sometimes it was Lingala, and, 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 and so there was Chokwe, Lingala, and French, and occasionally if we, Kimberly and I couldn't track in French, they would even translate into English. But Child after child, we would sit there and child after child would tell us their story and they would be crying because of the difficulty that they were in. And we would be mourning as well, not just because of the circumstance, but because of the sin and the evil that had been taking place. And we mourned together about all of this. Their voices were heard. We mourned together. And then what was absolutely remarkable was the surprise of comfort. The surprise of comfort which came afterwards, which we hadn't fully anticipated. But when it was done, the children seemed joyful. And we spilled outside into the front quad and we began to play. I was playing with the boys, a foot game. Kimberly was in a circle with the girls playing a song game. And it just went on. And we were surprised by the comfort that the Holy Spirit had brought to us. Because that's part of this. 
is the surprise of the Holy Spirit, the surprise of comfort. This comfort that we need, our internal, to our own emotions, this comfort cannot be forced, it cannot be constructed, it cannot be made up. It is a comfort that comes to us. And meets us. It can help us. And there will be times when we need to be comforted over and over again. That's true. We will need that comfort. And as spontaneous and surprising as it is, the Lord will continue, as He has promised, to do just that. And we need to acknowledge in the circumstances that we're in to focus on the root cause of the suffering. We are in a spiritual battle. Spiritual forces of wickedness. Even death itself, the Lord says, is an enemy. It's not His idea for death to reign. And so that is why the Lord Jesus went to the cross, was buried, and after three days rose again, because death is an enemy that He has now defeated. So focusing on the circumstance, but what is the cause of the circumstances that cause us to mourn? What are the causes behind it? That will help us to focus our attention and maybe to grow, grow in our self-awareness, grow in our sensitivity, grow in our empathy, grow in our compassion. I want to pause here for some Q&R. If you have a question, you can text or email or you can stand. I've struggled. I struggled with this passage. This has got to be one of the most difficult verses that I've ever preached on. Because I have gone through mourning. I know many of you have gone through mourning. And the Lord says they will be comforted. They will be comforted. And sometimes, you know, you might say, well, I'm ready. Bring the comfort. Or I, I don't feel the comfort. Where's the comfort? So then it is a test of our faith, isn't it? It's faith in real life. That song, Aware of Your Presence... Oh, there are times when it's so difficult and so challenging, the circumstance is so loud that we really need to be aware of His presence. If you have a question, please send it our way. Let me uh, begin with this. The question comment says, I think it's an important message to say that it is okay not to be okay and that the church is a place for all, no matter your personal circumstances as you've communicated this morning and then there's yeah. a question here so a few parts of it how can we as a church change the view of those in and outside of the church to a message that the church is a place for the broken and a hurt and the hurting not the stereotype of being a place where you have to be perfect 
how can we change our attitude towards what may still be a bit taboo in our culture? Mm. So really, yeah, how can we as a church change the view of those in and outside of the church to a message that the church is a place for the broken and hurting? Yeah, that's good. How do we change that? How do we make that change happen? You know, it's good. There are times of joy, times of rejoicing, and that's really good. But if we actually understand out of the emotions of God, and I'm going to be preaching on the emotions of God in the spring, exploring more of these, but if one of the emotions is his mourning over sin and the suffering that it causes, if we understand that and believe that to be true, even Jesus on the cross mourning over what was going on, then as followers of Jesus, we need to be challenged to not dismiss or diminish a person or the voice or the story that they have when they tell it to us. Don't rush to getting over it. Don't rush. Don't diminish it. It's significant. Don't dismiss it. Be present there and allow people to share. You don't have to have answers. You don't have to have that. And it doesn't mean that everybody's going to be gleeful all the time. So it's that posture. And it takes time for this to unravel. It's not Westview only. It's the, the, the Protestant sort of way we've been doing church where it's necessarily just happy and not necessarily real. So allow people the space for their voices to be heard. Don't dismiss or diminish. And they will feel heard. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Questions as well for anyone here. That's what we've got so far uh, this morning. But... Right. Yeah. Yeah, so... What about suicide or overdose? It's really tragic. Our Lord does not take joy in any harm. And death is an enemy. And there are people when hope seems lost when there is no place to turn. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is present and it is the Lord's prerogative to minister to somebody into the very last moment. I think that's why we have the scene of the, uh, on the cross with the two thieves. I'm sure the thieves' families thought it was over. But even in that last moment, the Lord is speaking to the thief on the cross so I have eternal, I will always have hope for every single person. Hope in the, the, the passion and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But I think a lot of it has to do with being a place that is safe for people. Where people can trust us. Not to rush to judgment. But to listen. So, thanks, Tyler. So, with that, I'm going to invite the music team up. But I, I, I think, starting there, I want to just say a couple of things. Come on up, music team.
on this aspect of comforting. So to be transformed to be like Jesus would be to lament sin and experience and express comfort. So I believe in cases like this or cases where people are struggling and hurting. You know, we're, we're people in this room. That we come alongside and we have a non-anxious presence. We essentially join them on the trail, that morning trail that they're on. And listen to me. The Holy Spirit, it is in His very name about comfort. So I believe as we are present together that comfort will arrive. I'm not going to construct it. I'm going to be open to it, believing with faith that comfort will arrive. Non-anxious, non-judgmental presence, and we call Holy Spirit, come. But I also want to say, friends, that we need to confess our own sin. Highly unpopular. And there's a difference between con being uh, uh, confessing and contrite. That is, confessing and contrite. Contrite is, I don't want to do that anymore. Whether it's gossip or slander, whether it's pornography or stealing, whether it's uh, abuse or any of these things, confessing, but contrite is, I'm done with that, Lord help me. And we need to confess, we need to think of that as stinky cheese. And confess. And the Lord is faithful and righteous and He will forgive our sins and He will cleanse us. There it is. And the third thing I want to encourage us and invite us into is to communicate. Now, we use the word pray. But treat prayer as truthfulness. Treat prayer as truthfulness. Be truthful with the Lord. Confess. Mourn. Plead for comfort. I have to believe Jesus' words. Blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. 